There is no doubt in my mind that we can find encouragement, we can find joy. As Brian said in his prayer, the Word of God is powerful, it's active, it's sharper than any two-sided sword. And so today, no matter what my words are, I want you to be able to go out of here and know that you've been touched by the Word of God, the all-powerful, living Word of God, and it can make a difference in your life. And so I want to read the passage we'll be diving into, and then I'll give you some background as to where Paul may be drawing from in this instance. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 19, I'm going to read down through verse 26. Uh, It says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, God blesses his word. He's given it to us. He's pinned it down through a a vessel named Paul. But I want you to hear from Job. This is just a little bit of background before we get into uh, three steps, if you will, or three ways that you might find hope in difficult circumstances. Listen to this. In Job 13, verse 13 to 19, it says, "Let, Let me have silence, and I will speak, and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I've prepared my case and I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I will be silent and die. That's Job in Job 13 after he's had his three friends basically lambast him about how wrong he is. You've surely done something to cause all of this turmoil. I would tell you today that Job didn't ask to be in that difficult situation. It was simply brought on him because the Satan, as it says in the Hebrew, it has the definite article in front of that, meaning in the Old Testament, meaning that there is one Satan that came before God and said, well, you've protected Job. God was the one that pointed out Job. Have you considered him? No, you've protected him. Satan then was turned loose on Job's physical body. And you know some of that story. He lost practically everything. And yet, he says, I'm going to be able to stand before God. I'm going to be justified because I am in the right. And I think you get a sense of that. As Paul is talking to this group at Philippi, he's not asked to be in prison. Philippi, this letter, is written from Paul while he's in jail. And so I would tell you that he's not asked for that circumstance. He's not asked for that dilemma within his life. And yet, that's where he is found. Now, there's great debate about whether 
this is Paul in prison at Rome or whether this is Paul in prison at Ephesus or this is Paul in prison at Caesarea. There's not a lot of evidence for Ephesus. Before, about 100 years ago, there wasn't much debate about whether he was actually at Rome or whether he was at Caesarea. There's a little bit of idea that he could have been at Caesarea because if you go back into Acts chapter 25, we won't turn there right now, it looks like uh, the leadership from Rome comes to Caesarea and they bring Paul onto the carpet. It appears that way. And so whether that was a different occasion, whether he was at Rome during this two-year hiatus at the end of Acts, which I believe is what church tradition would tell us, he's probably writing from Rome. He's probably going to get out, but he doesn't know that for sure. And so we come to this passage in chapter 1 where he's not asked for any of these circumstances. He didn't beg to go to prison. He doesn't want to be chained up. But because he's willing to stand for the gospel, he's willing to preach the good news of Christ, that's where he is. Now, I'm very thankful as I get ready to give you these three steps. None of us are in prison today because we've been willing to preach the gospel. I've not been persecuted to the point where I've come to this place of reality where I could go to jail. Not yet, at least. If we lived in Canada and I happened to preach through some scripture that speaks negatively towards homosexuality or some other choices that mankind can make, I could be in prison, yes. But right now, in this country, because I'm openly preaching the good news of Christ, I'm not persecuted to that point. And so we must find some other things, though, that we look at. How do we find hope in other disparaging type situations? Well, first of all, as you read this at verse 19, he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and through the supply of the Holy Spirit. In order to find hope in difficult circumstances, number one, you must allow others to help. You may or may not be where you are from your own choice. Now, let me back up for just a moment. You may be in difficult circumstances because you've made some foolish decisions. That could be the real possibility today. Paul, I don't think, is in that case, but you may be. I'm not trying to give you an out and say, well, we can make any kind of bad choices we want, and then God will just come to the rescue. That's not what I'm saying today at all. I do encourage you to evaluate the decisions and actions that you entertain because there are consequences. But whatever the circumstance today for you, you can find hope first by allowing others to help. And Paul is very clear. He says, this will turn out okay for my deliverance through your prayer. He's putting faith not only in God, and I think his faith was clear in God, but he was putting faith in others as well. I'm grateful that on Sunday mornings, there's a group of pastors in Spring River Association that text each other and say, hey, here's what I'm preaching, or here's what you can pray for today, or just a blanket that says, I'm praying for you today as you open God's Word. There are several guys that communicate early on Sunday morning saying, I'm lifting you up, brother, as you go out there and preach boldly the Word of God. I'm grateful that we have church members that pray for their pastors. We have churches that pray for other churches as well. It's not a selfish thing. You see, we're not in it to win over another church. We're not in it to win left side versus right side. We're not in this to see how much better I am as a Christian than you are. That's not what this is about whatsoever. 
And Paul was not bragging and gloating about, hey, look how good I am. I've wound up in prison. No, he's happy and proud that he can call on a group of people. He loved this group of people. The church at Philippi was the very first church in Europe that he started. You go back into Acts and look in chapter 16 and you see how that all came about. He wanted to go to a different direction, to Bithynia, but instead he has this vision. And this man from Macedonia says, come over here, we need some help. And so Paul willingly, with his friends, says, yes, I'll do that. He loved this group of people. Therefore, he was willing to let them pray, and he was willing to expose himself, if you will, of his need. And they helped him financially, and you could read that later on in this letter. But you know what this takes? If we're going to allow other people to help us through prayer, we have to be vulnerable We have to put away our pride long enough to allow someone else to know what's going on in our lives. We have to be willing to share with them some ways that maybe it's uncomfortable, yes, from time to time to ask for help. It's difficult to ask when we may struggle spiritually, and yet Paul is seen doing this. I know that I'll be delivered through your prayer, and then he has another valuable weapon, He has the help of the Holy Spirit through the ample supply of the Holy Spirit, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus, as he says. Now, I'm grateful that we're not left alone in this life. I'm grateful that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that when we come to Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You could go back and look at that, and you would see that we are sealed, it says, for all of eternity. It's a guarantee, it says, which guarantees our existence forever and ever with God. Through the ample supply of the Holy Spirit, we have someone that intercedes for us. Paul not only had the group at Philippi, but he had the Holy Spirit as the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We can't even understand the groaning that is happening. I'm thankful that on the cross, Jesus Christ, they didn't kill him. He gave up his life. Hopefully you celebrated that life last Sunday. Not only his life, his death, but his resurrection He gave up that he was willing to go before us. And as he did, as you can read in various places like Acts chapter 1, you can see that he talked with his disciples for 40 days. And as he was leaving, he gave the Holy Spirit for the rest of eternity for us believers. I'm thankful that there are times when we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. You surely have come across things in your lifetime which you didn't know how to deal with. I'm thankful that there's still prayer in school. As I look at young people sitting across the front of this sanctuary, there's prayer in school because there's still tests in school. And so I know there's prayer that happens. Now, it may not be admitted very well, but there's prayer that happens. As I think about young people and decisions they have to make in life, I was young once and made some decisions, sometimes good, sometimes bad. I'm thankful that God, through his Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself, don't get this mixed up. It's not 
this is the third part of the Trinity. This is God himself, the Holy Spirit, that lives within you, that intercedes for you, that stands on your behalf. So we have power, folks. There's good things that God gives to us, namely himself, the Holy Spirit. So Paul is drawing from this an ample supply of the Spirit. The Spirit also, uh, the Bible says, empowers us. This is a very familiar verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to be something, he says, not only here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then also to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be empowered from on high. You think Paul doesn't need this at this point? He's in chains. Now, he's got it pretty good if, he, if we understand this right. He's two years in this situation, though, and he's got some freedom. He's got people that can come visit him. He's got opportunity to continue preaching and speaking the gospel, which he does. He even says, just here in Philippians chapter 1, just a few verses before what we read, he says, I am appointed to defend the gospel. That's not a guy that's down on his luck. It's not a guy that's looking at himself and thinking, oh, woe is me, I'm pitiful at this point. No, he's saying, I've got every opportunity still to defend the gospel. He's going to keep preaching the good news. That's a guy that has been empowered from on high. I'm thankful that what he's doing is he's continuing to share the good news. As we see this back in Philippians chapter 1, again, he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with boldness I'll continue. As we think about this, allowing others to help, when you call upon others to pray, and when you pray in general, expect response. This is what Paul says, I am waiting expectantly. For this, quite literally, in this term for earnest expectation, it's only used two times in Paul's writing in the entire New Testament. Here's one of those. The other is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. It says, for creation waits eagerly longing. It's the same Greek term that he uses in Philippians. He says, eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In particular, he's talking about creation knows that things have gone astray. Creation knows that mankind's destroyed some stuff. Even creation groans expectantly waiting for God to reveal the end times and the things that will happen as he brings everything to fruition. It's this idea, Paul is expectantly, he's, you could literally, the background on the term is he's craning his neck. He's looking forward. He's expecting something to happen. He's watching eagerly. It reminds me, we have a cat at home. It's a black and white cat. Some call it a tuxedo kind of cat. It's got white right here on the chest of it. It's got some white feet and what have you. The other day, I was looking out across our backyard. We live in a community where it's got a fence around it. Of course, there's a neighbor on that side. There's a neighbor back there. There's a neighbor there. And what I saw the cat doing is she's in the corner of the fence. You know, there's a privacy fence around our yard. And so, Somehow, she got in the corner, and she can sit where the two befores come together, and she's sitting in that corner, and she's patiently watching. Every so often, I would see her head 
raise up, she would crane her neck, and she would look over into the neighbor's yard. And then she would slowly come back, and then she came up again, and she could look back at the other neighbor's yard then, and she could come back, and so she had a perfect view of what was going on in four different kinds of yards. Now, you know what she was looking for. She was looking for her next meal. I won't tell you what she got or what she enjoys in the springtime, but I'm thankful for bunny rabbits that live in our neighborhood. And I'm thankful that rabbits have rabbits like rabbits do. But she's a good cat, so don't condemn her for that, please. But here's the point. She was craning her neck, watching intently. It's almost like her livelihood was depending on it. And Paul, in the same way, this is the same kind of word that he's using. He's craning his neck, watching expectantly as to what's going to happen. Now, he's trusting in the people that are praying for him. He's trusting in the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, he knows God has a plan. He's watching ultimately for what God is going to do. Now, he's confident, as we've already read this passage, he's confident that he's going to get turned loose at some point. And most likely he does. But he didn't know that for 100%. He's trusting in people to stand beside him in prayer. He's trusting in the Holy Spirit to give him strength and to intercede for him. He's watching expectantly as God is going to prove who he is. And until then, Paul just says, I'm appointed here to keep defending the good news, keep defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you, in the same way, you watch and you wait and you keep defending the good news of Christ. Well, we find hope not only through others by allowing them to help. Secondly, we find hope by exhausting or exalting Christ in our physical body. Paul says, I, I'm finding hope, and in nothing I should be ashamed, but with all boldness, and as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We magnify Christ above all other desire that we may have. And Paul is doing this, I'm sure, his desire was to be set free. I'm sure he wanted to get out of chains, get out of imprisonment, and go on about life as he normally would. But he says that's not what is most important. What's most important is I don't want to be ashamed. I want my work to be fruitful, if you will. Paul was confident that he was going to glorify Christ no matter what. Sounds similar to us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I get the privilege of going on with life. Now, of course, that's a spiritual thing. We haven't physically been crucified with Christ, but we have spiritually died with him. And Paul is saying, now for Paul, this could mean something different. For Paul, he was saying, for me to die is Christ. For me to die is gain, because it literally was at the doorstep. It could have really happened. Man's tradition, you can look back through various 
writings that talk about how Paul did die. Uh, most say that he died under the emperor Nero, who was extremely brutal to Christians. He would light Christians on fire along the roadside so that it would be like human uh, lamps, human lights along the way. He, would, he, he did not like Christians whatsoever. It's most likely thought that he uh, was executed under Nero. And so Paul could have been speaking and understood very well what it was to deny this physical body. He says, I want to magnify in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was confident whether it was going to be life or death. We're not guaranteed, though, a persecution-free existence. Just as I started by saying we have not come to the point where we're put in jail for being able to preach the Word of God, but that could happen. It could happen quickly. Think about the folks in Ukraine. They were just living a life of freedom. They weren't under anyone's rule except themselves. And then another nation quickly comes in. Now, yes, they're part of an old existence. I understand that. But it's not what they desired. And you see some of the turmoil, and it breaks your heart to see pictures of destruction that happens. I, uh, we have some missionary friends that are in our association that served uh, for 11 years in Ukraine. And so some of the places where they stayed, some of the friends, they have lost. And so they, it breaks their heart when they walk through the pictures and show you various places where uh, they even lived, you know, at certain times as missionaries to Ukraine. Well, our freedom is not necessarily guaranteed, and we're not guaranteed to have a persecution-free lifestyle, life. The Bible is very clear in Matthew chapter 5 also. If you were to look through the thing called the Beatitudes, if you look at the very last one, it's blessed are those that are persecuted. Jesus himself was saying this, this is a real possibility for those of you that live boldly for the cause of Christ. Well, Paul was going to magnify Christ above his desires. It also uh, says, as we go further, it says, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I choose I cannot tell. He was saying that a magnifying Christ lifestyle means a fruitful lifestyle. Now, fruit is what people see. You can see the trees, but then the good part is the fruit. You don't just want the tree, you want the thing that it produces. In this same way, Paul was saying, I want my life to mean something. I want there to be fruitful living. I want fruit to come out of this. I want to defend the gospel even though I'm in chains, and I want people's lives to be changed. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it's pretty clear about what fruit is. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. Now listen to verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Two opposite things here. The things of the flesh, which can be evil, and the things of the Spirit, which are fruitful, which are good. These are good attitudes to have. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are also some action words as well. If you have a question about what you should do, you should ask yourself, is there love in this outcome? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are these things evident in my life? If not, then why not? What do I need to change in order to bring that about? Paul was willing to exalt Christ in his physical body. The body is an interesting thing. It's a great system that comes together to work together. Muscles that support and bones that come together and it doesn't just fall apart. Like one of those Toy Story movies when the tortilla shell went outside and all the pieces got all, it just melted. That's not us. God's created us the way we are. And yet we're all different. None of you look the same today. And it's a wonderful thing. It's like Doritos. You got, who likes Doritos? Now those are some cheese-covered triangles from heaven. I want you to know that. There, over the course of history, there have been 102 different flavors of Doritos. That's shocking to me the first time I read that. But here's why I tell you this. The fruit, people see the fruit in your life. If you've been partaking of Doritos, what do they see? It's on your hands. It's on your breath. It may be around your waist, I'm not sure. But they see the evidence of that. And yet, there's 102 different flavors, and there's a, a bunch of us that are different. That's good. But are they seeing as different as each and every one of us are? Are they seeing Christ come through? That's what Paul says. I want to live this fruitful lifestyle. I want the fruit of the Spirit to be alive and well. The people you go to work with five or six days a week, the students that you sit with in class, the family member that you sit across the table from after an Easter dinner, do they see fruit within your life? Are you willing to defend the gospel? I am appointed here to defend the gospel, Paul says. Exalt Christ in your physical body. But then finally, be a blessing to others. Not only do we allow others to help us, we exalt Christ in our physical body, but then we search out these ways, find these ways to be a blessing to other people. He says at verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, that I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress of joy and faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. He was looking out for them more so than himself. He was willing to stay imprisoned and alive so that he could be a blessing to them. It would have been easier just to die. And he says that. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What, he's, what I think he's literally saying is, if I'm going to go on living, I'm going to be in Christ. If I'm going to die, I'm going to get all of Christ. I'm going to get more of Christ. I'm going to be in Christ's presence. And I've read this verse many times at funerals where you're trying to comfort and console families that have lost loved ones that have died in Christ. And you knew without a doubt they were a follower of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As I say that, I do have to pause at this point and ask, are you in Christ? Paul was saying, I go on living, I'm in Christ. No doubt whatsoever. 
I can't see inside your heart. I don't know inside your life. But you know today whether you have trusted Christ as Savior. You know today whether you proclaim him as Lord, as the only Son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. So you ponder that question. Can you answer in the affirmative? Can you say, yes, I have trusted Christ? Or are you still wondering? You see, if not, if you haven't trusted Christ, then you still have no hope. And I want to give you hope today. You can come to know Christ, the only Son of God, by repentance. Just saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Help me, Lord. We all need help. We need that. We need his salvation. And if you'll do that, he will grab onto you for all of eternity. He will never let you go. And I'm thankful for that security that we have that comes through Christ. Would have been easier just to die and go on and be with Christ. But he understood that for discipleship to continue, for the believers at Philippi, for his work to raise up disciples, he was going to remain for their benefit. Oh, it'd be far better to go and be with Christ. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. You've got this need. And we must put away our pride long enough to realize, I come to this church not just for my own benefit. I come to this church for the folks that are sitting on the other side of the room, for the ones that are in the middle. I have a part in helping make disciples of Jesus Christ. We put away that pride that says, I'm the winner. No, I'm the loser. All I had to do was say yes to Christ. I deserve death. My sin separated me from God. But what God did was said, no, you're now the winner. You give up that stuff, I want to give you eternal life. And that's a blessing that I need to share with other people and figure out how I can help make disciples of others. So I think about Pastor Brian and his family that's sitting over here beautifully. You guys are outstanding, man. You're top of the class. I read something online today that said the best and the most important disciples you'll work with are the ones that sit across from you at the dinner table. So I think about his family, and I think about my family. And you think of your families. Are we making disciples of those that we sit across from on a regular basis? Yeah, we do this as a church. I I get that, and I want that. We also do this individually. Are there people, like Paul was with the Philippians, that you are investing in? that you're trying to help them grow to be more like Christ. Joy and hope, I would tell you, are found in the presence of victorious believers. Paul, he gets this. He sees this. That group at Philippi was some that he loved dearly, and he wanted to invest in them. But I ask you this question. Who are you investing in? The proper way to write this, as I've got this on my outline, is within whom are you investing? I couldn't not do it. There may be some English people out here. But the way we would say it is, who are you investing in? Whether you've been a Christian for three days or 75 years, there needs to be somebody 
that you're investing in. And Paul is saying it's, it'd be so much easier just to die and go on and live in eternity with Christ. But because of your need, I'm probably going to get out and I'm going to continue sharing the good news with you. So listen, my Dorito friends, you're all different than each other. But are you living in fruit? Are they seeing the example? Are they seeing Christ come from within you? The Word of God's powerful. And I'm thankful that Paul has this thing right. He loved them, and he was going to continue sharing Christ, not only with them, but everywhere he went. So what do you need to do as we consider God's Word?